Deadwood Soundwell. Today, I settled all of my family's business. So don't tell me that you're innocent. Admit what you did. Can I have a drink? Don't be afraid, Carlo. Come on. You think I'd make my sister a widow? I'm godfather to your son. You're entering a cosmic void. Cosmic Void, I'm Biggs. I'm Jeremiah. And today we are doing 1972, The Godfather, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> ever made, like, hands down. Not- That's an understatement, even saying it like that. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk briefly about The Godfather 2 and Godfather 3, I think, in this intro, and then we will not touch it the rest of the podcast, or at least we'll try not to, because eh, we're going to cover something next week, and we're not going to cover something right. <laughs> after that. But uh, what's your history with this movie, Jeremiah? Okay, so other than uh, talking about how I... I kind of loosely would watch it on Thanksgiving. Just it's always in the background or something. I uh, I played a lot of the video game, which is not actually the original story, which I did not know yeah. that going in, which was kind of awesome because I thought it was just a retelling of the the story, but it's uh, set in the universe or whatever. And right? I read that they used a whole bunch of the main cast, like they actually brought them back in to do voices, which yeah, I did not realize they it, they were not able to get Al Pacino. For it, it. it follows a lot of like the the lines of the movie, like it's like like you know you're one of the henchmen. Driving Vito to the hospital or like, you know, you're always a background guy, but like, um, yeah, so I, I beat that shit and, you know, loosely watched to the end of the, you know, what I thought the story would be. And, uh, that's pretty much it other than mentioning it to you and then watching it like pretty much religiously this past week yeah we had this funny conversation towards the beginning of when we started the podcast and uh i was talking about certain gangster movies i loved and you were like i don't really like gangster movies because i think i was telling you you got to see goodfellas and i was like no dude it's about like which gangster movies you watch like i'm not in love with that genre by any means but there are certain ones that are like some of the best movies ever made and scarface is not one of the best movies ever made but it's super influential and it's fun like it's it's fun garbage right like mm-hmm. it kind of is but like when you talk goodfellas and, and especially you talk godfather part one and two um these are some of the best movies ever made they're all on the afi top 100 list they're there for a reason they keep getting rewatched, and it's not just because people are saying like it's the best movie ever you should watch it and then people immediately take that opinion it's because they fucking bring it dude there's no so it is masterful storytelling and like the way they pace the movie i mean it it's uh, it, it's you know one of the greats for sure. I mean, I got it within the first like ten minutes. You know, yeah, it, that opening it, scene is a banger. it hit me hard, and I I basically binge watched all the first one at like one in the morning until four in the morning, <laughs> and then I had this moment where I was like. Should I just bust in the second one right now? Like, whatever, right? Yeah, it's, you it's should. It's already four in the morning. But I was like, is, no. That is why we're recording at a different time than <laughs> right. we would normally record because uh, you banged out the second one immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
I just finished the third one, and um, yeah, no, it was a. Uh, I, I had to finish the story, dude. I, I just couldn't stop, man. It was so good, and that second one is like probably my favorite one out of the series. I I did not really like the third one at all. Yeah, not as much. Like I definitely wish I could view the third one as how I view the Amazing Spider-Man, where I just refuse to watch them, and I'm like, nah, that's not a part of my. I, I went through that too. I was just yeah. like, fuck that movie after I watched it, but I've watched it four or five times probably and it's one of those things where i've come to peace with like i think it's a fine movie the problem is is that it follows two of the best movies ever made and it's such a massive drop off because however you feel about what's better part one or part two they're both amazing masterful movies and the third one is not even close yeah they just shouldn't have they just shouldn't have made it like i think i think think it was too far there was a lot of things that that went wrong with the third one and i think that contributed to it but i still don't think it would have been one of the best movies ever made if mm-hmm. those things had gone right like yeah i mean how do you i mean the second one is like so more superior than the it's so much more superior than the first one that it's like and the first one's good like Dude, really good like it's it the, blew me away because i when you're watching here's, here's where i'm at i think that the first one is one of the best movies ever made. I think the second one, to me, just to me personally, is the best movie ever made. And it is my favorite movie ever. Dude, you said that, and I openly, in my mind, was like, I'm going to find things to nitpick about the second one right after you said that to yeah. me. And I can't, bro. And because three hours and 15 so... minutes long. And I it's wish there was good. more, yeah, bro. I know, it's I know. so fucked That's up. That's why you roll over from the first one oh right my to the second God, one. dude. It's so good. So my history with this movie was i had always heard that the godfather was considered the best movie ever made or at least it was mm-hmm. in the discussion i mean that's always there's always the, the citizen kane yeah. discussion and casablanca right like those are the three that people toss around the most and so when i was in my early 20s i was like you know what i should watch this it was on tv and i watched the first 45 minutes and was riveted and then got interrupted and couldn't watch the rest of it and i was like fuck and i was working at this retirement home and we could watch whatever the hell we wanted at night like we just brought in vcrs dvd players were a little expensive at this point so like it wasn't quite where I and could vcrs get were still in the norm mm-hmm. so i was like over at a like a box store and i saw the godfather double tape for like 10 bucks and i'm like i'm buying it and so like it was after i watched that on tv so i went straight to the retirement home like popped it in as soon as like everything quieted down you, like, had to pause it for call lights and shit you know <laughs> um watch it all and i was like fucking amazed and so the very next day i went to the store and bought the double tape of the second one and watched that and i just had them living with like a box set of scarface that i bought after that like a vhs tapes and i would just watch those three movies on a continuous loop like i was obsessed with them bro i'm bummed i didn't this isn't the first way i experienced pacino I'm upset that like oh, I watched Scarface you first. You shouldn't be, dude, because like because I I know that he like does the whole oh, I'm Pacino, but I I really like when he's just yeah no, no, no. nothing Make and no he doesn't mistake have about that, it, dude. Like, his his best acting roles are the first two Godfather yeah, movies, like, like especially the second one when like I feel like the yes. first one he doesn't really have a voice, but the second one he does like, have a voice. The problem is is like he's transitioning in the first one, like he's becoming something, and the second right. one he. That's 
that's what I'm saying. It. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In the second one, he be, has become the Lord Godworm. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, <Or laughs> Godfather, if you will, yeah, the, <laughs> like the, the Godfather of Worm, yeah, the, <laughs> of Dune. Uh, yeah. Um. And then I also like read the book because I was so into it, and have read other books, which we'll talk about when we go into source material. Um. I just fucking love these movies. So that same retirement home I worked at. So I was watching those two movies on a continuous loop for about six months and then it was around Christmas time I got my very first Christmas bonus I'd ever gotten that's so funny we both had that phase with different Marlon Brando movies for me it was Apocalypse Now that's a great and movie and it's when I had bronchitis that's, for like a that's month that's when I came to because of <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola like same director as the Godfather movies you know right oh I kind of forgot about that yeah loosely. oh dude he, he that makes so much sense he, his most fertile period he did like the Godfather the Godfather 2 the conversation Apocalypse Now like it was just banger after banger dude what's the conversation about uh the conversation is should this, we just do a whole like ford coppola if block <laughs> if you're down we could totally do the conversation at some point like i feel like it's the most underrated classic there is because like it is it moves at a glacial pace but like it's just done so well and like enemy of the state is like a secret sequel to that movie like gene hackman's character and enemy of the state is like the main character of the conversation and they never address his name because they didn't want it to be overt but it is a sequel to the conversation but like the conversation is not an action movie like it's not a tony scott style movie like it is a slow paranoid drama like it's really well done but anyway this is all to say like i was working at the retirement home like i'm watching these movies for like six months it's a super high clip i get my first christmas bonus i've ever gotten i it was a hundred dollars i went straight to the box store again because i had just gotten a dvd player for christmas and the first dvds i buy is i go and i buy the godfather box set it had the first three movies on dvd and a bonus disc that has about three hours of extra scenes cut from those three movies extra scenes and And they're good dude like they're really fucking good scenes too and so it's just like fascinating you have to remember where you're at they don't do it in order the movies when they put the cutscenes. they do it in the years they come out i don't think i don't think we have to have that conversation right but i'm saying like (laughs) if you sit there and watch it it starts out with the beginning of godfather 2 cutscenes then it has godfather cutscenes then it has godfather part 2 cutscenes again and then godfather part 3 like they do it in chronological order of the story so it's really interesting commentaries on all of them i've listened to the commentaries i don't know how many fucking times like i did research for this and i did learn a couple of things but most of the things i already knew because i've watched all the commentary like all of them even godfather part 3 anyway we should get started so an aging don is transitioning his power to his son after a rival weakens their organization. You're entering the void. In 1945, in New York City, at his daughter Connie's wedding to Carlo, Vito Corleone, the Don of the Corleone crime family, is listening to requests. Uh, we should start right here. Yeah. <laughs> right at the beginning. I mean. I believe in America. Right. Like, just with that line right away, you're fucking riveted. Yeah. This dude literally, is, you, you hear this dude. I mean, it literally starts off with hearing this fucking dude be like, I love America. I came here to fucking do something and help my family just yep, like everyone he, else he believes in the american dream uh-huh and uh these dudes uh were trying to take advantage of his daughter then beat her like fuck beat her face the fuck up the phrase is they beat her like an animal right <laughs> and he basically begs uh marlon brando they get off in court 
That's important because he goes to the police like he's supposed to because he doesn't want to get in trouble. Right. right? So he doesn't go. He does everything how he's supposed to. Right. And like he watches them in court. They get sentenced to three years suspended sentence. And and they smile at him in the courtroom. And so he says to his wife, for justice, we go to Don Corleone. Right. And if you've never seen The Godfather, you kind of know the way that this looks, even if you don't think, you know, Mm -hmm. it's dark. You have those shades in the background that are Mm -hmm. just showing just enough light. and You can just barely see his face. Like the lighting is so important in these movies. So much fucking dark. Always. Shit. I fucked up on that when I watched it. I kind of was wondering why I was like, hmm, this lighting seems off. I should have fucked with my uh, TV a little bit because that makes more like a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's. In complete darkness, they only light the things that you need to see, especially in that scene at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like whenever they're in a room talking, it's not well lit, but just the entire thing. Like they tend to set most of the scenes at night. Even when it's daytime, there's heavy shadows everywhere. They want you to know that there's a darkness going on. Then they overexpose the film so that it's a yellow color palette. So this looks like it's in the 40s, right? Like we're used to seeing the 40s in books and newspapers that are kind of older or whatever. Like that's the feel that they're going for with the film of this movie. They're trying to make it look like it's old. They're retelling like an epic tale, right? And it fucking works, dude. Oh, yeah, man. It looks so good. This guy is breaking down to Don Corleone like, I want you to kill these guys for hurting my daughter. And the Don is pissed off because, like, this guy has just ignored him the entire time, even though he's godfather to their daughter. He never went to him for help, understandably. And Vito understands that, but he's not going to play that up, right? Like, he, he wants to get this guy in his pocket. This is what he does. He gets people in their pocket and then like. And he's like legit about it too. He, uh, you don't get we'll, that right yet. And but. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. And that's like a key difference between Vito and Michael, which will be explored more in part two. I'll just say it now. We're going to do that next oh, yeah. week. Oh, yeah. Might as well. So if you're upset that we're not talking about part two, it's because it's coming next week. Yeah. Like, we're literally going to do like a two parter. I mean, you can't. You can't tell this story without the second part. The yeah. third part. Yeah. But yeah. you can, <laughs> but you can go can, ahead and skip the third we could, part. We could do the first two, and that has to be done as a block because it just it makes sense, you know? Yeah, but Don Corleone is getting this guy in his pocket, and so he's telling him, you don't even call me godfather even though I'm godfather to your daughter, you know? Right. Which I think people- Is he just doing I, that to people in I, that well, city? Well, I think, I think <laughs> people get this a little mixed up. They think godfather means Don, and it seems like in this movie that like that's interchangeable because that's the title of it. But what it actually is, is he's responsible for their Catholic education should the parents die. Like, that's what a godfather does, right? Like, they step in and make sure that they learn Catholicism. And it's not really a big part of this movie, but it is in the book. He is godfather to all these people because it's a sign of respect for them. Like, they hand it to him as a sign of respect. I don't think any of them actually expect him to do what you're supposed to do as a godfather, but that's what they do. It, it's a stand-in for being the Don, for being at the top. You okay. Know? Um, well, he's so, the people's Don. <clears throat> but That's what separates yes. him is that he's the people's Don. So he that really did, is. That would make sense and, about the Godfather. And we find thing. that out in part two as well. But uh, So he's basically telling him, you're showing me disrespect. You're coming in here. You're demanding something. Because he says he wants him killed. And he says, that's not justice. Your daughter's still alive. Mm-hmm. And so he decides that he's going to hurt them for this guy. But the guy is even like, please do what I ask you. And then he goes, Godfather? Like he remembers like, oh, I'm supposed to say that. And that's when Vito's attitude immediately changes because he sees he's got this guy in his pocket. Like Mm -hmm. he's got him where he wants him, right? Like he wants everybody. And he even brings it up and he's like, if you would have just called. 
well. And he would have said, what you're supposed to say to me, you He'd know. He'd be suffering I right would, this day. Yeah, he would be beating those monsters for ruining your daughter like that. And he even, like, kind of just sides with them just to get what he wants. It's, it's very manipulative, for yes. sure. Like, you get that right off from the beginning. So the guy walks out, and then the Don, he basically says to his right hand, Tom, I want you to get guys on this. Don't get guys. I'll get carried away. I.e., I don't want you to kill them. I want you to do exactly what I told this guy I would right. do, right? Like, that's important. Maintain control in this relationship so right that's how we open the scene and that scene was not supposed to be at the beginning like it's later in the wedding when he's talking to luca brazzi and all that and coppola was putting it together and the editor was talking about how when coppola wrote Patton, he had this really interesting speech at the beginning of the movie and she was like you should do something like that like it would be more powerful and so he starts to look at the stuff he's filmed and he's looking at that scene and he's like yeah, that's it. So he messes with the order and puts that at the beginning because no, it, like it's, it's a oh, whole speech that sets yeah. up the movie, right? And it shows you the power dynamics immediately in the movie. Such an important shift because this movie just fucking grabs you right away. Otherwise, it would have started at the wedding. And there's right. nothing against that, but like, no, I don't know, dude. man. Like, it's not powerful. This like, is the this vibe. Is this is the vibe. These are the people. This is how people they People behind closed doors this who is, have power. This is who runs shit. Like, and it, it puts you in that world immediately. And I think it just sets it apart. Like I said, dude, from the first 10 minutes of this movie, I was like hooked. Like I was literally like, oh, fuck. Like, dude, I was I'm so in this. fucking happy when you picked this oh, movie. Dude. Like almost like tears of joy when right. you asked to do this movie. I was like, oh, because I had thought many times over these last 43 episodes that like I wanted to do The Godfather. In my mind, I was always worried it in would be In my too mind, long. bro, this would be the timeline for like when we, I always, in my mind, I always thought that we were going to do it like around this time. I nice. guess so I, I always did want to do it uh, it's just you know I didn't know how much of a task it would be for sure like it definitely took something out of me but it, yeah. was, it was a really good thing to watch after being like legitimately addicted to Dune so <laughs> fucking <laughs> it was a good thing to get me out of that kind of show Michael who was a marine during World War II introduces his girlfriend Kay Adams to his family at the reception Johnny Fontaine a popular singer and Vito's godson son seeks Vito's help in securing a movie role. Vito dispatches his uh, consigliere Tom Hagen to Los Angeles to persuade studio head Jack Waltz to give Johnny the part. Okay, let's hold there because there's a lot in this wedding. Yeah, we need to talk about. Uh, I mean, we get okay, Michael for, first, first thing. Yes, absolutely. First thing is Michael talking about him with Kate. Kate is uh, that one lady. Diane Keaton. From all those uh, super awesome. So young. So uh, beautiful in this movie. Like, it's hard because I, I always reckon with, like, 90s, 80s to an extent. Like rom-coms. Like, <laughs> like, that's literally all I know. Oh, and from. she's been in all kinds of movies. I've, she's I've been like, in comedy. She's been in drama. She's, like, like a she's rom-com, done everything. Christmas she, movie, fucking. She's literally <laughs> been, done everything. Like, Diane Keaton, just super respected actress, like, has done every kind of movie you could do for when she was making movies. I mean, yeah. obviously, she, had, she didn't quite make it to when superhero movies became a, a thing but you could see her doing the michelle pfeiffer kind of thing mm-hmm. you know in the ant-man movies if she was around now oh yeah definitely but pacino who looks so fucking young in this movie you know he doesn't is, even talk like pacino yeah he hasn't gotten into old man pacino like around son of a woman scarface era when he started
starts to scream every line. This was very controlled. And when he screams, it's like a little frightening because that is when it's. Oh, he's so composed. Yes. He's and when composed he's yelling, person. he's composed too because he's trying to get across like the power. Oh, and this the anger. already makes me wish it was next week so I could talk about the. Yeah. yeah my we'll, favorite scene from the second movie. We'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. Uh. So he's talking to Kay and he's trying to like let her know what his family does because she's an outsider. She's from Connecticut. She's not from New York where everybody else is. And everybody else in New York knows who these people are. Like they already know the and deal. And the big, this is the first big lie right here too where he's like, I am not them. That is them. I am not them. I do not fuck with that. And see this? I'm in my military outfit. I am not them. And by the way, he's really trying to separate yeah. himself. Yeah, too. absolutely. He legitimately is. Absolutely. But we'll get into that a little bit. This is where it down. starts becoming Dune. But we right get here. our first <laughs> iconic line. He says that my father knew Johnny Fontaine, who's supposed to be Frank Sinatra, basically. Right, he's like, yeah. he got him out of a band contract because he knew he would blow up. And, and she goes, What do you do? And he said, He made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And she looks at it's him true story. like, what's that? He goes, he handed him a contract and assured him that his signature or his brains would be on it. Right? Like, that's the part that people who don't know this movie, everybody knows I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. Only people who've seen the movie actually know what that means. Right? Yeah. Like, it means you're going to do what I want you to do I'm or it's going to be you. extreme <laughs> violence. Yeah. Like, I always, whenever somebody hasn't seen The Godfather, I always say that next line because it's so fucking invocative. It's like, oh, no, this is a shake down but like you are gonna fucking die if you don't <laughs> yeah, do what I literally want. like that is such a violent phrase it, even and for ju- 1972 and the wild part too is when Johnny Fontaine pulls up he's like oh hey ladies oh, please sing us Johnny Johnny please sing us a song he's like oh I couldn't possibly sing and they just like <laughs> totally just bust down a song there's women just frolicking to him I mean there's literally a part where every- women are screaming so bad fucking Vito Corleone's like what's going on and like you know he's like looking out the fucking window because there's fucking people hollering and there's Johnny Fontaine just singing a fucking lullaby to everyone that my dad murdered a guy for that guy like it's just so fucking oh my god we've got that scene where we see this woman is talking to another woman and you don't hear what they're saying but she's like holding her hand out small and then bigger and then bigger and she's talking about Sonny's Dirk Diggler is what she's talking (laughs) about yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and then you see her. She's like banging Sonny later, and Tom's looking for Sonny, and like it's very clear he's off, like with his mistress. Mm-hmm. You know, this Guruma, which will be important, I guess, for part three, because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's she's basically going to get pregnant, and uh, that will be Andy Garcia's character in the later movies. But that's not important right now. Mm-hmm. Really, this key. movie is so much like Dune. There's little things like that <laughs> where it's like the bastard child of fucking, and just little things like. That like oh my god I, I I literally don't know if Dune has ruined my brain, but like <laughs> everything I see is Dune related now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so we see this really big guy who's just sitting there reading this piece. Oh of my paper god, over and fucking over again. Brasi. Yeah, and he's oh. say, and he's saying like Don Corleone. I, I I am so happy that I came to the party. Thank you for the invite. May, oh oh may shit, your, I forgot may your to child say, right. have a, May your child's first child be a masculine one right like he's practicing this over and over again and he looks scary and Kay's like because Michael's introducing everybody to Kay off from in the distance right like they're at their own table and he's letting and everyone's looking for Michael right now too 
yes. because like you know Vito's trying to take pictures of people and they're like no not without Michael not yep. without Michael yeah holds off the picture and then Michael comes in and then Michael says hold on and grabs Kate and pulls her into the photo which is like Michael no and like he pulls her in anyway and they have this big family picture oh, that's man. that's important too right talk like, about fucking really forcing someone to be a part of a situation so he's talking to Kay about Luca Brazzi about how he's the one that gave the offer he couldn't refuse you know and setting up that like Luca is this violent scary person we will get back into that in source material because I'm gonna let you know some details about Luca Brazzi yeah I think he is strongly misplayed in this movie I do not I think they Uh, give the idea of power but they don't get into it and uh, I wish there was there's hour 40 more minutes just added to the movie there's really good reasons why we don't see why people I wish at least in the second one we could have got like a fucking scene with Luca Brazzi no he's dead oh you mean like yeah that doesn't work with the timeline I just wish that we could have had more of him because I do this is where I guess we'll disagree okay let's let's talk about Luca I I will tell you what I know from the novel so that you can I just feel I just feel like the way he's portrayed in the beginning is he's just this fucking oaf like if there were literally real hobbit people he would be one of those guys well this is where this is where repeated viewings and then he gets sent off to get like repeated viewings let you know how important this guy is right like they talk about how he's the enforcer like michael's talking about that they talk about like you see him at the wedding reading off the thing and like tom is telling Vito, like luca brazzi would like to talk to you and the don's like is this necessary like clearly he doesn't like luca either and he's like he didn't expect to be in the wedding and he wants to give respect and he's like all right i'll see him but like Vito doesn't want to see him and Vito feels like he has to see him so that on repeated viewings you realize how important i guess i guess i I guess i get what you're saying because i do i did get the vibe of like Vito has to respect luca brazzi yep like he has has to be this guy that you see everybody like he is the center of everything it's his daughter's wedding but everybody's referring to it as his daughter's wedding they're not referring to it as as connie and carlo's wedding right like this guy is the center of everything that opening scene establishes he's the guy who controls everything in the room but like he doesn't necessarily control luca even though luca works for him so they're right away setting up like this guy is super powerful it's just something the more you watch it the more you really pick up on okay. how important luca is even though he's out of the movie very quick johnny fontaine is complaining to Vito that he wants this part in this movie because his voice is starting to go thin this was a real life thing with frank sinatra he got nodes in his throat and so his voice was starting to waver and so he started to try and get into hollywood pictures he tried to get into from here to eternity because it was about a character who is exactly like him that's in this movie right they use a different picture title but it's supposed to be from here to eternity. And Frank Sinatra very famously talked to his mob friends that he grew up with. And then suddenly he got the part and he won the Academy Award for that part. It was a really big pivot for Frank Sinatra that paid off. And then Frank Sinatra is in movies. He was the fucking part of John McClane in the original movie that Die Hard was a sequel to. Yeah, he was supposed to be John McClane, right? Kind of. He was the original John McClane. But like this movie was nothing like the movie that Frank Sinatra was in. So they technically had 
had to offer it contractually to Frank Sinatra first. And he's just like, I'm not going to get in an undershirt and go through, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go through a fucking heating bed. You're a KIA, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, you can't see Frank Sinatra saying that. So they knew he would turn it down, but they contractually had to offer it to him. That would be fucking dope to hear Frank Sinatra <laughs> just being like, I'm going to put a bullet in your face. <laughs> just fucking singing. He was to in fucking... the original Ocean's Eleven, dude. Like, uh. the original Ocean Eleven was like the rat pack we should do that i've been meaning the original to, i've been Ocean's meaning to 11. watch the original one, i've never man. seen it but i've never seen it i know it's gonna be super racist because like the Oof. way they treat sammy davis jr uh it's it's brutal dude it's really brutal anyway so as to say like he's like i don't know what to do and the godfather like smacks him and says you can act like a man yeah i love this too because immediately you see what you have to say do you have to do the things say the words to the don to get him to respect you and you know you give a little you you get a little you know and you see someone who has already done that but doesn't ask in the right way because he's famous and because he he's famous he's and he bit. can just yeah he can just be like i wonder what i could do he's like shut up bitch why don't you be a man and ask me what the fuck you want and by the way when he looks scared and he doesn't know whether to laugh or cry that was a real reaction because marlon brando improv that part where he smacks him and, and screams at him you oh like you can act like a man like that was not in the script that was Marlon yeah, I mean, Brando he goes off. off he's script. he's fucking real, and that's uh, that's what I love about Vito so much is that he's he's real. Like he'll do the things you ask to if you respect him, and it's you know. I mean, I feel like he has a decent moral compass. Yeah. you know. So Vito tells Tom, "I want you to go to California, straighten this guy out." And now I want to go back to my daughter's wedding before I miss it because this is another key thing. Like Vito cares about his actual family mm-hmm. more than anything else. Like he's doing the things he has to do on the wedding because it's the tradition of Sicilians, at least how they present it in this movie. Mm-hmm. But he cares about his family, like first and foremost, you know, it's all tied in together, but he wants to get back in with his family. Now, I think the last thread that we have to tie up here which was not addressed in Wikipedia, is we see Sonny's hot-headed temper right away. He goes outside. He sees that the FBI is there. Oh, and he's fucking up all their shit. Well, he's really upset that the FBI is sitting in the car. So he's, like, saying shit No, and they're marking. They're literally, like, writing down license plate numbers. Yeah, and and so he, like, spits on the guy's notepad. And then he comes over and he sees a guy taking photographs, which I think is just a journalist. This was another thing that was improvised by Jimmy Kahn, or James Kahn. He sees them taking photographs, and he grabs the, the camera and just smashes it on the ground and then pauses for a second and then he just takes money out of his pocket and throws it on the ground for the guy and like walks Dude, back Dude, it's in. so fucking hood. It's so good because it shows like I've you ever watched he's scary not going to take four? shit but it's also like, alright, I'm going to pay you for this because the FBI is right here but also fuck you, you can pick it up off the ground. Do you Bro, know what I mean? Have you ever seen Scary Movie 4? <laughs> I don't remember. I've seen a few of them. You remember what was that dude's name from uh, the airplanes series? Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, he's in that movie. I didn't. And know there's that. a part where he fucking runs someone over, and he's like, oh, "I hope we could settle this uh, like grownups." And he throws forty dollars <laughs> on the fucking dead body, dude. It's 
so fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, just because he's like, like <laughs> obviously does not cover anything. If I can just say this, if anybody's oh listening God. to this and you haven't seen The Godfather, I will say, if nothing else. You should stop else, this right now and go watch it. I would say that, but I would also say, forget about how great it is. Like, legitimately mm-hmm. just great. Just watch it. You will understand <laughs> so many pop culture references that you did not understand. Like, it is tight. Not only did it start the tropes for so many things, like, it is parodied the threads, to no bro. end. It's yeah. parodied all the time. And when you watch this, you realize, like, oh, like, that's where I, that came I understand from. The Sopranos so much more now because and they're I obsessed with this. the Godfather movies. And that's what's hilarious they want about to be it. the gangsters in the Godfather movies. Yeah, but they're like how I dressed with sweats and, you know, that are stained. And, you know, they're not, they're not that at all. That's why it's so funny watching Syl be the worst part of the Godfather, which is the third <laughs> the movie. Third it's so funny. It's so funny that there's a true the, enemy has not uh, revealed himself right. yet. I get out and then that pull me right back in. That is a good line. Though. Oh my God. That is a good line. That's what true. I'm talking about. There's some good lines in part three. For sure. It's it, just, I'm not an apologist though. It's not, it's right. not great. <laughs> um, you know what? I lied. There's another thread we got to pull at the wedding. Yeah. I'm so sorry, dude. There's so much in this in this opening wedding right. that's important. So Vito is talking about Carlo to Tom and Sonny. Don't let him be a saying, part of the family. He's basically saying, like, give him a living. Make sure he's comfortable. I don't want him in the business. Right? Like, he's saying, like, keep him separate. He instinctively does not trust this guy. Yeah. Because of Vito, because Vito sees all the moves coming down Fuck, the road. dude. I hate... There's so much I want to say already from, like, how it starts. Because it's like, you're celebrating Connie and Look, fucking Carlo's be- wedding. And it's like, how that is set up in the beginning to how it unfolds towards the end of the movie. There's so many fucking things happening in this movie that are just... Have you picked up on the orange thing? What orange thing? Okay, you're going to fucking love this, and this is going to be so rewarding when you watch these movies again. I know. I want to watch it right now. Okay. (laughs) Oranges mean death in this movie. When you see oranges, it means somebody's either about to, like, face death or the seeds are planted for death, okay? So we'll get into it as we go along, and I'm not going to hit every orange because I can't remember them all, but, like, we get our first examples of oranges. We see that uh, Abe Vigoda's character, Tessio, he He's like reaching for an orange at a table. And this is right after Barzini shows up. Okay. Just remember that name, Barzini and Tessio. Like Barzini shows up to the wedding to show the Godfather his respect. And like Tessio reaches for an orange. That's going to be important at the end of the movie. Right. I did not piss myself. I spilled coffee on my Oh, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> All right, we should uh, get to do the other story, though. Um, Tom goes to see uh, Jack Waltz, uh, and they have this long-ass conversation where it seems pretty chill at first. Says no. No, he doesn't, dude. <laughs> he does not seem chill at any point. <laughs> no, because there's that part where they're having the dinner, and he's all, like, super chill, and then he gets all, like, super angry. Is it's it okay? Like, you can understand. Is it okay to use, like, old-timey racial slurs that are not used anymore for white groups? Like what? Like, wigger? <laughs> <laughs> that's no i mean that's that's a behavior right. of, of white people i'm talking like he said like basically jack waltz breaks it down to tom Hagen. he doesn't know who he is but he's talking to him disrespectfully and then he finds out that he works for don corleone right so even his fame has reached the opposite coast which is a big deal in the 40s right like we're not interconnected like we are right now so even he knows about don corleone whose power base is in new york and he's saying why don't you tell me you worked for him and he's saying that johnny fontaine wants the 
apart and Jack Wolf just fucking unloads on him. And he's like, you tell your friends like he goes on this whole thing like trying to insult them and let him know like he's not to be trifled with and so the guy like looks at him and he goes i'm irish and german and he goes well listen to me you right. he just immediately like fuck and if, if this offends anybody i am very very sorry like it's what I, he says is literally yeah. what he says i feel like these terms are like so old at this point if they hold power i apologize so i i'm really struggling with whether to say that or not but he's trying to like break him down a base level of like fuck you i'm the one in charge and mm-hmm. tom just takes it all in stride jack waltz is just he's like, like well, i'll go home he right destroyed now. my protege this woman we had like but he even put just her up in singing and dancing lessons but just so you know what that i have a heart she is beautiful i've never had a better piece of ass and i've had pieces of ass all around the world right like he's saying like he was in love with her and johnny destroyed her he doesn't realize like this shows no respect with tom or like any of these guys they don't care about women at all they really don't outside of like my mother my wife like my family like that is just literally what they think of women they don't think anything more so his whole argument is just like ridiculous to tom he's like i'll have to let the don know like he insists on knowing bad business immediately and this is after jack shows him his prize horse that he's gonna put out the stud that he's paid more than why would you do that because he's trying to show trying to flex trying to yeah he's trying to show him that he's powerful and like he's saying like even royalty doesn't pay this much for a horse you know like he's trying to show him a status symbol so he wakes up in the morning what i don't know what's the most iconic scene out of this movie it's but definitely i one will of them. say this is one of them for sure i think when i was younger it was the most iconic scene because it was so shocking i think now that we've seen so many shocking things it's just an iconic scene from this movie but it used to be the most iconic scene oh I think. yeah absolutely this and or like this guy getting shot the fuck up yep so so Woltz wakes up. He's like looking in the blanket. He sees a little bit of blood and he's like, what? And then kind of like pulls up and realizes it's not his blood. And he just keeps pulling the sheet. And then you see a fucking severed head of his horse. Like, right. and he's just screaming and they show, you know, his mansion and they're showing like a long shot and you can still hear him screaming. Like even with all of his power, Dude, and they show imagine... everything that he's accrued. And like this guy just fucking fucked his world. Dude, imagine fucking having to work with Johnny right after that like how that must have been was like okay johnny they you're don't doing say a great job buddy they don't say it but you know that's what happens right like right. there's no nobody watches that and questions whether jack like gives well johnny i don't know jack i think i really like this scene the way it was whatever you say man like <laughs> <laughs> hey man if you think this scene should be him just like that like totally they, leave it they just did like that, that they did that to his <laughs> horse and put it in his bed like right. think about what that entails to like not just like saw off a horse's head. This is one of the first missions in the game, too, by the way, which is oh, pretty tight. Well, is that like, you basically it's like the first Tom one where in the Tom's movie. like Tom's like, hey man, I know I'm supposed to be the one doing this, but you gotta do this shit for me. Oh. I'll chill in the car. <laughs> I gotta say, if that's the way they present it in the game, that's wrong because Tom doesn't do anything like this. Like Tom's a lawyer. Tom is there to like broker truce and like make offers and things. No, that's like why that. he like, pays the other dude yeah, to fucking. That, that's Tom's that's role. your first gig is right. like fucking me. Him but being Tom, like, hey man, you're I don't think alive. Vito ever would have expected Tom to do something like this. Like this right. isn't what Tom does. Like Tom, oh, yeah, no, Tom is the Tom like, is the one who's running the business for. The financially don, like don, like, the don does it in a room are they, is he blood related no okay so they they cover this in i the, can't remember yeah sure i'll, I'll like just the, we are going to talk about the book later but i'll talk about this because i may not remember tom is an orphan that's why he's like irish german like he's an orphan and he 
becomes friends with Sonny while he's living on the street. And then Vito sees that he's on the street. And Vito was an orphan, as we know in part two. And so he adopts Tom and like brings him in and then eventually brings him into the family. So like later when Tom says, I'm as much a son to him as you are. And like Sonny doesn't even question it. That's because he literally grew up in his household with him. Like Mm -hmm. he is an adopted son. So this story is about a father who is like transitioning power and his sons are the ones with the power, right? So you have Fredo, who's kind of the dumb son. You have Michael, who's very smart, but wants to be outside of it. You have Sonny, who's a hothead, but absolutely understands what he's supposed to do in the organization, even if, like, he goes to the bad tendencies. And then you have Tom, who, like, is the rational side, right? And, like, who's the one who's always trying to broker peace. And that's why, like, it's important that Michael steps up. Because, like, Fredo is not going to be able to handle it very clearly off of everything we've seen with Fredo, right? Like, he's just not totally there. Man, what a devastating character, too. And Tom is the one who brokers peace too fast. And Michael is the balance between the two, right? Like Michael has Tom's instincts for working out things, but he also goes with the temper when it makes sense. So he can be brutal like Sonny can be brutal. Mm -hmm. If not more, if not more so, because he like the way he, because I mean, even like. I don't think Sonny would ever cross his family. That's what I'm saying. I don't think yeah. Sonny would cross his family. Outside of, like, extended family. Carlo. Like Carlo. <laughs> yeah. But fuck Carlo, dude. No, fuck Carlo, dude. Fuck Carlo. Absolutely. Fucking, like, that's why that that scene makes so much sense. Because it's, like, the moment you hear that, I just, I'm, like, in my mind, I'm, like, oh, he's taking the belt off on the way to fucking Carlo's yeah, house. Like, and we'll get there, but... So shortly before Christmas, drug baron Salazzo, backed by the Tangelia crime family, asked Vito for investment in his narcotic business and protection through his political connections. Wary of involvement in a dangerous new trade that risks alienating political insiders, Vito declines. Suspicious, Vito sends his enforcer, Luca Brasi, to spy on them. Barazzi is garroted to death during his meeting with Bruno Tagelia and Salazzo. I'll be honest, dude. I feel like they did Luca Brasi so fucking dirty. I I disagree. All right, let's get into it. Let's get yeah. into Luca. Brazzi's That's why I did that whole ass chunk because yeah. it's like let's let's get into Luca Brazzi's backstory from the book. So Luca Brazzi is frightening because he is known to take down many people. There are no examples of that in the book. They just talk about how the Corleone Empire rests on three legs. Vito is the first one, and he does it through respect. His judges and senators that he's got in his pocket are the second leg because he's managed to foster political power. And Luca Brazzi is the third leg because everybody's so frightened of Luca Brazzi. Now, the main reason that people are so frightened of Luca Brazzi, because they talk about him being an enforcer. They give no examples in the book either. Here's the thing that terrifies people about him. He had had a fling with a woman and she brought his baby because she wanted him to take care of the baby. And he immediately takes the baby and throws it into a furnace. What the fuck? Yeah. That's why people are terrified of Luca Brazzi. You want to see that in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> no, I like Game of Thrones, I don't bro. think you can. Especially, you can't especially that, no. 1972, yeah. you can't do that. So, like, there's a very good reason why we don't get more on Does that. this happen during... But, by the way, this is a reason to read the book. For real, dude. Like, the Does book that is part amazing. happen during the uh the No, it's, a ba- it's just a 
backstory. There's okay. so much of this in the book that's just like they will introduce a character and then they'll give a quick what I was, backstory. What I was trying to say about and feeling- Luca, by the way, is separate of Don Corleone. Like he uses Luca and like it's a mutually beneficial situation. But Luca is a fucking force on himself. So like Vito has to show him respect, even though he is also horrified of this person and doesn't like this person. Like it's an uneasy alliance, right? But he's like a key to their power for sure. And so they just allude to it in there. And everything so is with Luca. Is fine that he dies then? He dies early in the book too. Like, and he dies but early. But is that fine that, because it really does oh, feel like. Vito kind of set him up because it's like it's no, so he doesn't, obvious. He doesn't intentionally. I know, but it's so obvious that like, okay. of course, is, that dude would fucking betray him. Like, why would you send your dude to be like, hey, bro, fuck that guy? Okay. Can I get on on the secrets? Okay, you let's know? let's examine a couple of things here. First off, we see Luca reading the thing to the Don, and then he gets very flustered after practicing it when kids run in the room and stuff and can't even deliver the speech. Right? He's not a natural liar. Vito should have known this now does Vito betray him no he does not betray him he just is not seeing all the angles and Salazzo calls this out later the Don is starting to slip he's getting older and this was one of his slips he should have done this but to be fair he was also rattled because, and this is super important, maybe the most important thing in the movie because it sets up the entire movie. They have this meeting with Salato. All the important players to his empire other than Luca are in that room. And they're talking to Salato and he's trying to get him to drugs. And they're saying before the meeting, Tom's saying like, it's important that we do this because he can move all this heroin and this is where it's going. And so the Don's listening to him respectfully, but then in the meeting decides to like, that he's not going to take it. And Salazzo needs him because he's got the judges and he's got the senators, right? Like he's got the political power in his pocket so that they can do this without repercussion, right? That's why Vito is so important to this trade. Like he's saying like, we'll stand off and not interfere, but that's not enough. They need his help. When they're talking about this in the meeting, he mentions that they'll guarantee every shipment, even if it gets lost, like the Tatalias will will pay for the loss. And Sonny goes, you mean the Tatalias will like guarantee every shipment? Such a fucking mistake, dude. That's the inciting incident for this entire movie. Because when he says that, he shows Salazzo there is division within the Corleones, right? Like there is a disagreement. They're not all lined up behind Vito. So what do you do? You fucking knock out the head who doesn't agree with it and have the next person up take over, right? Like that's how they operate business. If it's important enough, you create a power vacuum so that like you put in somebody who's going to do your bidding. Sonny fucks them. He even pulls Sonny aside after the meeting. I think he says, in the meeting like my sons talk when they should listen they say to, to Sonny never go against the family in public never ever disagree well, that's with the, the thing family that that's happens. what that meeting ahead of time was for was to give your thoughts and then you shut the fuck up and let Vito give his thoughts that's what happens continuously throughout the movie is like it's like cause it's that shit this shit with fucking Fredo yeah cause Fredo's a moron just straight up a moron dude and we'll get back to that when we get there but yeah yeah so I, I think we covered this but it's just like that stuff is so fucking key to what's going on in this movie like the first hour of this movie is set up for the last two hours uh later salazzo kidnaps hagen and then has a veto gun down in the street veto's eldest son sonny takes command salazzo pressures hagen to persuade sonny to accept salazzo's deal then releases him the family receives a fish wrapped in brasi's bulletproof vest indicating that luca sleeps with the fishes veto survives 
and at the hospital, Michael thwarts another attempt on his father. Okay, stop there. That's so much we got to talk oh, about. Oh, I know. Sorry. I'm just trying okay. to bust through as much as we can. Yeah. So first off, Luca goes to meet with them. And what they do is he's saying that he's unhappy with the Corleones because Vito tells him that. And Slotso, who's supposed to be really good with a knife, suddenly whips it out, stakes his hand to the bar immediately. And then a guy comes up behind him and strangles him, right? He's wearing a fucking bulletproof vest. They make a point of showing Luca preparing for this meeting, putting on a bulletproof vest. Like they found a way to... To fuck him up without that bulletproof vest they clearly know that he's gonna wear a bulletproof vest right like they're they're watching luca very closely so they find a way to, to thwart him immediately right like they set up salazzo's good with that knife and then you come up behind him and kill him like that it's it's very smart mm-hmm. so you've got that happening then later you see the bulletproof vest with the fish luca brazzi sleeps with the fishes another fucking iconic line right like sleeps with the fishes that doesn't mean anything if this movie doesn't come out yeah it's just literally they're saying like we threw him in his dead body in the ocean right they grab tom hagen slotso saying if we wanted you dead you'd be dead already which is a good point right like they would have gunned him down in the street instead of trying to get him into the car to have a meeting and he knows that tom hagen is not like a super violent person like this is a guy who's going to talk out the things that have peace. Now, the driver calls in sick, Polly, and I've seen this so many times, I know like, a lot of the names I shouldn't That's know. That's the fuck you know up I mean? part, though, right? Yeah. It's that Polly calls in sick, right? Polly calls in sick, and then you have Fredo is driving Vito. Worst person you can have driving Vito, because like, Fredo doesn't know what's up and what's down. Like, we see it over and over again in this movie. Fredo has no idea what's going on. So, he stops him at a market. Vito goes to, like, look at the fruit. That's a mistake, because, like, Really, after all this, like, pressurized stuff is happening, you're just going to walk around looking at this stuff? You know what I mean? Like, that's where Vito's slipping. Like, he's not thinking about it. And I think a normal driver would have been like, hey, Don, well, maybe, town, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, but, like, he upset Salazzo in that meeting and Sonny spoke against him. He should have known. He, he would have seen that angle if he wasn't slipping. Like, that's what we allude to. And Salazzo says it in the meeting with Hagen. Like, would we have been able to get to him even a year ago? He realizes that. He's not seeing the future with drugs and things like that. Although Vito is correct that, like, the drugs would screw up everything. He's right. That's exactly what happens. Like, the mob has a slow decline after this because they get a bunch of power from the drugs. But then the federal government has to step in as a result. And the mob is almost nothing now. You know, like, it's still around. But, like, The Sopranos is all about the decline of the mob. And it happens because of drugs. Like, it just gets so crazy that they have to start dissolving the mob. When Vito goes to get fruit, what happens right as he gets shot five times? He's picking up an orange. Not as he picking up an orange, he knocks over an orange crate and oranges spill out all over the street right? Get the oranges again. It's like talking about death. They're trying to kill him. They run up. They shoot him five times. They run off. Oranges everywhere. Yeah, he gets fucking shot the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if this is where my alternate timeline is and the whole fucking mandala effect or whatever, but I remember loosely before even fucking hearing anything about The Godfather, I thought Vito died right here. Oh. And that he went to the hospital and then he was in a coma and then died in the hospital. Well, let me talk about it this way. You kind of half watch this movie a bunch of times, right? right? Be very easy to think he's dead because they say he dies over and over and over again. Like, because Salazzo doesn't know he didn't die at first. So he's talking shit too to Tom. Yeah. And he's like, he thinks he's dead. He's he's sure that he's dead. He's He's like, no, Vito's dead. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, no. 
So if you're half paying attention to this movie, it would be easy to think like he died in this part. So I I think we've solved the Mandela effect here. Okay, cool. Um, Now, one more scene. So Michael is out with Kay and they're like Christmas shopping. They give you heavy Christmas vibes here, right? Like they're looking in the storefront, they're talking, and then she sees a newspaper and calls him back. And he realizes his dad was shot. So he calls up Clemenza, who runs one of the families for the Don. And he's saying like, yeah, come back, Michael. And so Michael goes to see his dad at the hospital hospital and then realizes that the guards are gone right he comes up to the nurse who's like why are you still here like it's past visiting hours and he's like where's the man guarding my father she's like the police sent him off so now he knows the police are involved trying to get his father killed so he calls up tom lets him know tom goes just don't panic and he's like i'm not and just hangs up the phone and then he tells the nurse like help me undo these tubes like we're gonna move him to another room and she's kind of like what and he's like you know who my father is right and she's like yeah and he's like men are coming here to kill him we need to move him so they move him to this completely different room and then you see this just so masterful dude you see this long hallway and you hear this echoing and it sounds like these giant footsteps and you're just feeling doom as you hear him and it's it's just some chinese dude right uh, no, I think he's Italian, but it's this guy, Enzo, who comes up, who's oh, a baker. Yeah, yeah. He's there to pay respects to Vito, and Michael's like, you should go. Men are coming here to kill him. And he goes, I'll help him. And so he has Enzo go out front, and then Michael goes out front, and just as these gangsters are walking by, they sit there, and he's like, put your hand in your pocket. And so, like, he does, so it looks like they're, like, holding guns, and so they slowly go by, and then they leave. And then the police show up, and the captain is just corrupt as fuck, and he's like, what are you doing here? And he's going to haul him off to jail and then michael says to him how much did slotso pay you to have my father killed and he's like stand him up and then he cracks him across the face right and the book this is really important because he like injures his nose and so his nose is like kind of fucked up which like that is the turning point for michael when his nose gets fucked it's kind of the bond villain thing right like if you have a deformity you're a villain in bond <laughs> movies <laughs> yes like he's all the, evil now same deal here like once he gets that nose cracked like he's watching this cop like michael's still trying to work within the system and when he sees the systems corrupt too he's just like fuck it i'm gonna run the whole thing and that is when we see the immediate change with michael after that after he gets smacked tom shows up with all of these armed guys like a fucking score of people run into the hospital and he tells the cop this is an injunction order from a court these men are armed they're bodyguards for Vito corleone if you interfere you'll have to appear in court in the morning and the captain knows he's fucked right there so he lets it happen because like if he tries oh, you got paperwork? Oh, yeah, one yeah exactly. And who does the Don control? The judges and the senators. He's got the judges in his pocket. So once again, like, it's not even about right or wrong. It's like the captain was able to use his influence to try and get Vito killed for Salazzo. But, like, his superior dude, imagine, would be imagine, a judge and Don, the Don has the judges. So, like, what are you going to do? Dude, imagine going to court and then they have to do everything, like, paperwork style. So it's like, uh, Vito Corleone. Murdered three people, armed robbery. Well, you said you were sorry, right? <laughs> you know what? I think we're going to let you have a second chance. That's oh, also, it was just the seventh That's chance. also why Tom <laughs> is his right hand, too, because, like, Tom insulates him from a lot of things, but also right. Tom is a lawyer. Wizardry. Like, he sends him to law school and everything, so Tom personally can get Isn't him Isn't that what things. Michael's trying to do with uh, his own son? He's Well, he's trying to get his son on the road to being a senator, and his son wants to be a singer. This exactly is Exactly like... Yeah. Well, in part three, he softens, so he's become his father in that way, and he's also losing the angles. But we're not talking about part three. 
yeah, talking yeah, about true. part one. <laughs> true, 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 true. Yeah. Similarities and such. The Corleones plot to murder Salazzo and McCluskey, feigning a desire to settle the dispute. Michael meets them in the Bronx restaurant in which, after retrieving a handgun planted by Clemenza, shouts out Clemenza, uh, Corleone Capo, he kills both men in such brutal fashion. Yeah, let's, let's walk up to that because there's a lot of subtle, important oh, things yeah. to this. So this is where we see Michael take control, right? Like they're sitting in a room. It's Tom. It's Michael. It's Clemenza. It's uh, Tessio. And it's Sonny. And they get word from Tessio. Interesting that it's Tessio because Tessio is going to betray him. That's why the thing with the orange and Barzini is important. Tessio's in with Barzini. So, of course, Tessio's the one relaying the message because it's the easiest person to have because he's already in your pocket meeting with you, right? So, he's saying, like, word is that they want to reach out and they want to talk to Michael with the proposition because they already failed with Tom, right? Sonny's like, basically, fuck that. We're coming at him with everything. They've been trying to get Salazzo. And so, like, Salazzo can't even go out on the street. So, he wants to barter peace and he's having an offer that they can't refuse they say right so it's like it's kind of like a we'll fuck you up if you don't do it offer so michael this is where he really becomes the guy with power in the room and Sonny's constantly freaking out at this point he may not officially have the power but this is where he becomes it he sits calmly on that chair as Vito would behind the desk and he lights up a cigarette his nose is all fucked up shadows hanging on him right like you got the Venetian blinds in the background and he's saying set the meeting Sonny's like what and then like everybody shuts the fuck up and listens to Michael and he's like set the meeting have it be in public so that I feel comfortable and then we will somehow have Clemenza sneak in a gun I'll execute him at the restaurant. Sonny is inferring to Michael that he doesn't have the balls to do it, right? Because like it's not like the war where you kill somebody from a distance. You got to go right up to him and bada bing, blood all over your Ivy League suit. This is where we get the bada bing thing from the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, by the way. yeah. Bada bing is a thing that yeah. like this movie makes famous for sure. Sonny is suddenly like satisfied. You look over at Tom, he's like, that's smart. He's satisfied. That's important, right? Like you have the ego and the id right there. And they're both realizing like Michael is fucking bringing it in this moment. Tessio looks impressed. Clemenza looks impressed. Like they're all impressed that Michael came up with this. So Clemenza- and I mean, it, it is a big shift because Michael has been in the past, not involved with the family. Not in so, the past. He has never been involved. So with that it, it is wild that like the moment, like the shit happens to this dad he's like okay i'm in because like he has been against doing shit like that but let's be real dude he's not in the moment that something happens with his dad like he's going to protect his dad he's in the moment the cop smacks him across the face it's fuck cops and sonny calls him (laughs) out on that he says like one cop cracks you across the face and you go crazy right you know and he's saying like it's not like you're taking this very personal michael you're taking it very personal and he's like it's not personal it's business and he's fucking cool and like smoking that cigarette and it's just like He's fucking cold-blooded in that moment. That cop cracking him, that showed him the system was fucked, and he might as well run the whole thing. That's mm-hmm. that's how I read it. Like, that is the change in him when that cop fucking hits him. If that cop doesn't fucking lay him out like that. That is definitely, he becomes cold-blooded at, like, that point for sure. Yes. I think that's the exact moment that it changes for Michael. So, Clemenza goes in to talk to him. First off, he puts tape on the gun so that Michael's fingerprints aren't going to be on the gun, right? And he's, like, shooting it, and he's 
he's like, it's really loud. And he says, yeah, I kept the recoil loud. It's going to scare the hell out of the people in the restaurant because they figure out what restaurant he's going to take them to. And he says, okay, when you go in there, you come out of the bathroom. Don't even talk to him. Just shoot him each in the head. Don't give him a chance. Then what are you going to do afterwards? And Michael kind of jokes and he says, sit down and finish my dinner. And he goes, don't even mess around. Like, get up, walk out. He says, keep the gun to your side and then drop it to your side. They're going to think you still have the gun. You're going to scare the hell out of everybody, right? So he tells him these advice. This is basic things to do this. This is important to remember because- Thumbs like, in. Clemenza's the fucking goat, dude. He literally teaches Michael how to murder people and then be smart about it. Wipe your prints. Fucking- But Mike fucks it all up because Mike doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> And he panics in that moment. Like, Mike's not totally there yet. Okay. So he goes. What's wild about that scene is because when you watch him go to the fucking, you know, the bathroom to get the gun, everyone's already like timid, anyways. You hear the flush, he comes back, and you can just see him pitter patter with his eyes, his facial structure. And it's like, oh, it's so good. You look at him in one second, you would have been like, oh, fuck. And then, bop. Dude, it's fucking... Right. He goes in the car, gets in with Salazzo. It looks like they're driving New Jersey. Michael looks panicked for a moment. And then the guy suddenly, like, is on the causeway to Jersey. They, like, turn over a lane and, like, go the opposite way because they're trying to lose a tail if they have it. And if somebody suddenly turns, you know somebody's following you, right? So he's, like, Salazzo's, like, congratulating his driver on a good job. They go to the place. Michael's clearly relieved when he realizes they're going to the neighborhood he thought he was going to. He sits down at the Italian restaurant. And, like, the captain could just give a fuck less about Michael like he frisks him when he gets in the car apologizes for cracking him across the face because they're trying to make peace the cop feels untouchable though he just doesn't give a shit and assume this guy doesn't give a shit anymore well they don't know who the fuck Michael is he's also a police captain right like he's used to having power and not used to being fucked with so they go into the restaurant they're sitting down Michael's having this conversation with Salazzo it's all in Italian you don't know what they're saying unless you speak Italian and like you don't need to know because A this conversation doesn't matter we know how Michael's gonna end this conversation right and it literally doesn't. That's what's so genius but about B, this. Scene. You see every facial reaction on Michael and on Salazzo, and you can tell Michael should just be amiable, right? Like he should just be friendly with him while he's sitting down. He's not. He's fucking pissed at him and he's letting him know. And so they're going back and forth. And Clemenza tells him, don't just go to the bathroom. Ask to go to the bathroom. Like it, you know, it'll kind of disarm him. And Michael said, like, they're having a fight. Like they're they're arguing. They're clearly not happy with each other. And Michael says, I'm going to the bathroom. Like he tells him. I'm going. So right away, he's not listening to Clemenza. The guy says, hold on. And he goes to frisk him because he really doesn't trust Michael at this point, right? And everything Clemenza is telling him is trying to show him, like, how to get this guy at ease so that you can kill him easily. And Michael's not taking it, like, because he's fucking pissed. This is about revenge. And so he goes to, to pat him down. And the cop's like, ah, he's already clean. I, I already frisked him. Like, cop doesn't give a fuck, right? Like, he thinks he's untouchable. Michael goes to the bathroom. He, like, grabs it. And that's when you start to hear the train, right? Like, there's a train over head and you can start to hear it going and like you hear the brakes but like it's clearly not going to stop in time like it's this like sound cue of like this is unstoppable now like this is going to happen michael walks out of the bathroom right away their heads are turned he should have blasted them right there like clemenza told him nope they turn around he literally sits down dude yeah they look uncomfortable when they see 
see him come out of the bathroom and then he sits down and he clearly looks pissed and he's looking like pissed and apprehensive and like Salazzo keeps talking to him and then he just goes bam and shoots him and then he hesitates for a second and the police captain is kind of like huh now in the book they expressly say the police captain wasn't worried about it because he's just like I'm a captain I'm untouchable still so whatever like these guys are going to kill each other then he fucking kills the captain right so like Michael fucks up right there doesn't fucking kill him when he comes out of the bathroom like he waits too long and then he even hesitates before he kills the captain then he goes to leave they have the bam 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 music what does he do with his hands he fucking lifts his hands and like tosses the gun a couple inches so he was told to put his hands down at the side and drop it nope lifts his hands does it why is that important what does Michael have to do immediately after this happens? Leave. He has to go to Italy because he fucking gave them every indication that like he was there. He didn't scare the shit out of everybody in the restaurant like they were planning on because of the way he drops a gun. So people are watching him and giving reports to the police. So like he fucked up, like he straight up fucked up and he's got to go into exile because he fucked up. It's just a subtle and should have been a four movie. part movie series because the movie should have ended right here. That's the first part, right? And then the second part is part two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> where it's fucking Michael Corleone living his best life in Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say it was supposed to be a four-part series. That makes sense. because um, not, not the original movie. I just mean all of the Godfather series. But we'll talk about that next episode. Okay. I, th- I have that earmarked for next episode. What the Godfather part four would have looked like if it had happened. I don't so think So there is happen. more to the story after? Um, well, we'll never see it. But there was supposed to be. Yeah. Despite a clampdown by the authorities, war breaks out between the five families. Vito fears for his family. Michael takes refuge in Sicily, and his elder brother, Fredo, is sheltered by a Mo Green in Las Vegas. Sonny attacks Carlo on the street for abusing Connie and threatens to kill him if it happens again. Fucking, like, hits, like, hits him over the head with a trash can lid, which was also improvised by, by He's James literally Bond. just, like, drowning by a fire hydrant. <laughs> Because yeah. like, they have the fire hydrants yeah. open for the kids to play with. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. Vito comes back from the hospital, right? And they're like talking with Vito. They're basically letting him know what happened with Slazzo and, and like how he was killed and the captain was killed and all this. And then stuff with Sonny and Fredo. And then he like whispers, Michael. And, like, they can't hear him, and, and he says louder, Michael. And then Tom says, well, he was the one that killed him. So he's off in Italy letting the heat cool down. And you just see Vito fucking looks destroyed in that moment. What a parallel. I feel like Michael's so upset that, like, he doesn't have an heir to the throne, you know? Mm-hmm. In the third one, that it's, like, to have that comparison of where, like, Vito's, like, distraught that, like, Michael got in because he was like, it almost feels, like, natural that he was should have been in, but, like, that he almost got out. Because it's, like, that, I think that's what really fucked me up on the second one is when you don't even see it coming. But when, you know, his wife's, like, you know, fuck you and fuck your family. And this it, whole Sicilian thing must end. It has to end. And it's, like devastating to hear but understandable also yeah it's understandable from k's perspective and we'll get back to that in this movie so it's so wild though just when you have the whole picture in your head where it's like i'm so glad i binge watched all three even though i really do hate the third one to have that clear picture of like where it goes and where it goes why it needed to be right here why this it's like even the thing with um my uh Vito's face, cause uh what what is it when uh what's his face 
went up to him when he was a kid and was like fucked with him and then like that's like his biggest sign of disrespect is touching his face yeah we'll get back to that yeah, for right. sure. Next episode. <laughs> is that a two thing? Doesn't that happen in the first one? No. It does in the beginning. I'm pretty sure. Oh, when he's like doing Yeah, it because it's hand. supposed to be like a big thing. I can't remember why though. Carlo attacks Connie again. And when he does, Sonny speeds to their home, but is uh, immediately ambushed at a highway toll booth and violently gunned down. Dude. And I mean, we haven't really talked about this, and this is something I want to talk about. You know what's about. funny? We talked about it in uh, the Repo Man episode because we we're giving examples of violence. And this is the example of the over-the-top fun violence. Right. Like, Sonny gets stopped at the causeway. Like, they it's immediately like- pop out of the, the uh, toll booth and around him, and they're machine gunning him down. And he gets out of the car and he's got his hands like outstretched and he's like screaming he just like gets hit over and over again just riddled with bullets it's so over the top but it's like are they using Tommy guns amazing death they're yeah using Tommy absolutely guns. yeah so you want to know something crazy about Tommy guns I think back then they used 45 ACP so that means like all the holes are like they're like fucking fat holes they bro. spent a hundred thousand that's a big area in New York and they like drilled holes into the concrete right so that when they did that scene you would see the bullets holes i the one thing we haven't really talked about the effects uh, with the the way people get murdered like especially in the scene when michael kills those two dudes it is fucking brutal red, and it's not even like dude like the first one is like red mist out of the back of the slotso's head right and then he comes over and then the captain is just staring at him and he gets this little bullet hole in his forehead but then like he gets shot in the throat dude and then you just see the blood run down his throat and, and i mean like, oh. it's just they're very real with it where it's like it's not clean shots like there are certain times where people get shot in the cheek and it's like i've never really seen that before where it's it's usually always like the perfect shot right but yeah. i really do like how they incorporated it being like dudes getting shot in the side of the face the way Vito gets gunned down is fucking brutal dude all these directors have this in common because they hung out with each other they like live with each other on a commune in california for a while they were producing each other's movies helping each other's out and i'm talking about george lucas martin scorsese francis ford coppola brian de palma and uh steven spielberg like they all were in tight with each other okay when you talk about coppola and scorsese in particular they tend to believe in the type of violence that's like so fucking brutal that it's not really glamorized like you go ooh when you look at it and you do have the over the top sunny scene so that's different but the rest of it it's it's not it's so fun. genius it's not dude. fun the, the violence that's in this movie that's it's what like, makes it more real yeah it's it, what it's makes like, it well, like like i have a i have a fear of getting like stabbed and when and in the another just to we keep talking about the other movies but in the second one when Vito fucking knifes down that dude that murdered his mom he fucking stabs him and just drags it along yeah, his yeah. stomach and it is like we'll, we'll get back to fuck, that one dude, dude we've got so much to cover in this oh movie still God. but I do want to say George Lucas his first directing credit on the big screen like he's working on THX 1138 at this point his first movie which Francis Ford Coppola produces but he brings him in in the meanwhile to film some 
second unit stuff for him. So like when you see the spinning newspapers where they're talking about the captain being killed, that's George Lucas that filmed that scene. So mm. just an interesting little fact. That's cool. While in Sicily, Michael meets and marries Apollonia, but a car bomb intended for him by one of his bodyguards takes her life. I mean, it is so fucked up. Like I just want just at least touch on it because it's so fucked up. We see a lot of stuff in, in Italy that they don't really cover, but Michael's going across the countryside. Doesn't okay at all. And no, no. He tells Kay before he leaves, like, go to Connecticut back to your parents until this blows over. Like, that's before he even does anything wrong, you know? And so she's just out of this at this point. Like, he sees this woman on the countryside. He, like, falls in love with her. The guys are kind of talking shit about, like, how beautiful she is and all this. And then, like, it turns out they're saying it to her father, so he's offended. So Michael has a father brought back and he's, like, saying all the stuff about respect and all of that. But, like, also there's the air of, like, this is a guy who's being protected because he literally tells him he's being shielded. He's from America. So he's also... He tells him who he is yeah, in the he's family. he's subtly man. giving him a threat of like, I am getting with your daughter. I want to show you respect. So he's hitting it from both angles, right? Like, I want to show you respect so you're not upset, but also like, this is going to happen, right? Like, he's letting him know on both fronts. And so he falls in love with Apollonia. She wants to like learn to drive. And so she's doing a little bit of driving. By the way, the actress is 17 in this movie. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. Yikes. I guess age of consent is different back in 1972, but like, yeah, she was 17. I, I read that. So that's weird because there's like a, a topless scene, like the only nude scene in this. Uh, it's any- not child porn. Don't worry. It was <laughs> it be an heavy distribution. But. Uh, is there anything that comes back from this, though? Because like, she Apollonia? just dies, right? There's nothing that like. In this movie? Because like, there's nothing that happens after that with that family, right? Part three that he calls back to Apollonia. That's like it though, right? I mean, I think it's important to the first one in that it seems Michael so has lived this whole other life and completely shielded Kay out of it. And so when he comes back with Kay, he's not going to go backwards on that. He's already created this other life that he's going to keep living. Think of what a betrayal it is. Like he's engaged to Kay and he takes off, doesn't tell her anything, like doesn't contact her. And she's and visibly that's, that's fucked a, up. Yeah. And that's enough. Like that's enough for a betrayal. But then I'm on top of it he like married another person and like had this whole life and then was widowed you know what i mean like that's pretty fucked up and so i think it's important to understand like his relationship with k is already fucked because of what he's doing like he's living two lives now uh-huh. oh we should say too apollonia dies in a car bomb oh yeah yeah because she's she goes to drive and it was meant for michael and and then she blows up devastated by sonny's death realizing that the tagalias are controlled by now dominant Don Brazzini. Vito attempts to end the feud. He assures the five families that he will withdraw his opposition to their heroin business and forego avenging Sonny's murder, his safety guaranteed. Okay, this is important too because when you're in this meeting, the Don is giving up his power. Yeah, That's basically uh, what he's doing. He's saying like, I've lost this no war. More. I've lost no this more. war. I'm done. I don't have the strength for it at all. But he's also saying, if one of my sons dies, I'm a superstitious man. If they die for any reason, and I will come at you with all my force, right? So he's like saying, like, this is what's important to me in this meeting. What's Barzini eating in that meeting? An orange. Yeah. <laughs> he's slicing open an orange and eating it while they're talking. And Don Corleone is watching the way Barzini is talking. And that's when he realizes that Barzini is a silent partner in all of this, right? Like the Don might be slipping, but he's starting to see 
things again now that he's like recovering health wise, you know. Right. Anyway, Michael returns home to enter the family business and Mary Kay, promising her that the business will be legitimate within five years. Kay gives birth to two children by the early 1950s, with his father nearing the end of his life and Fredo too weak. Michael takes the family reins, starting to move the family's business to Las Vegas. Expecting trouble due to this move, he insists Hagen also relocate to Las Vegas. Yeah, because Fredo's not going to be able to handle it. Yeah, but relinquish his role to Vito because Hagen is not a wartime consigliere. Vito agrees Hagen should have no part in what will happen in the coming battles with the rebel families. When Michael travels to Las Vegas to buy a green steak in the family casinos, he is dismayed to see that Fredo is more loyal to Green than to his own family. It's not just that. It's that Mo Green is talking shit to to And he does the Fredo same thing openly to his brother yeah. the whole time. Mo Green is He's just being slapped. disrespectful. He's getting slapped. Yep, in talking the shit to him like Michael's calling him out on it and Fredo's like, "Oh no, no, Mo's okay. Mo's okay. Like don't worry about." It. And he's like and later he tells him never ever go against a family. Right? Like Michael understands intuitively what happened in that meeting at the beginning and realizing Fredo's fucking that up too, right? Yeah. Like Fredo was the wrong person to send over there. And Mo Green is like fucking pissed when Michael tells him he's gonna buy out the, the he's shares. Like, you buy me out? No, I buy you out. Go, yeah, I'm fucking Mo Green. <laughs> like, just has this big freak. He out. made Vegas, right? Basically, apparently, yeah. This is supposed to be like all of this stuff happened in history somewhat. Like, it's all kind of changed from where it was but it's all based off of history and yeah this guy like took a desert with nobody in it and fucking made this giant empire for the mob you know and so like now Don Corleone is taking over what Mo Green fucking started imagine how fucking upset you would be you and know? to his face and but he's not being disrespectful he's just being like he is being disrespectful I mean, because Mo's being disrespectful to Fredo which means but, he's I mean, being disrespectful the way he comes out of where he's like I'm buying you out period and then it's like that's disrespectful <sighs> Oh, it is, it is dude. I'm taking what you built, period. <laughs> <laughs> True. They're both being disrespectful to each other, to be fair. In 1955, after warning Michael that whoever approaches him to arrange a meeting between him and Bersini is a traitor, Vito suffers a fatal heart attack. At the funeral, Tessio, another Corleone capo, asks Michael to meet with Bersini, signifying the betrayal that Vito forewarned, and the meeting is set for the same day as the baptism of Connie's baby. Vito is telling Michael what to expect, right? But then he's out in this field, and he's got his grandkid running around, and he's kind of watching him and laughing, and he does a thing with the orange peel, right, in his mouth. And he's going, and he's like showing it, and the kid looks scared, which was an improvisational moment. Like, the kid really did get scared when he did that, and then he's kind of laughing and showing him like, oh, it's a trick, and the kid kind of laughs. And then he topples over in the garden and dies, right? Like, peaceful death with his family, but also before he he's doing that he's talking to michael giving him advice and he realizes he's repeating the same thing over and over again they're showing his health is failing also important that they're doing the baptism like by the way that baby that's supposed to be michael's son that's actually sofia coppola like that's mm. francis ford coppola's daughter who's in godfather part three and a big director in her own right did the virgin suicides uh lost in translation whole bunch of i movies. love lost in translation yeah. great director terrible actress <laughs> fine as a baby i guess <laughs> Uh, while Michael stands at the altar as the child's godfather Corleone, 
hitman murder the other New York City dons, and Green Tessio's treachery leads to his execution. Michael extracts Carlo's confession to his complicity in the setting up of Sonny's murder for Brazzini. Clemenza then garrots Carlo to death. Um, later, an enraged Connie accuses Michael of murdering her husband and tells Kay that Michael ordered all of the killings. Kay is at first relieved when Michael is sensed to discuss his business dealings with her this one time. And, and lies to her. Immediately lies Tell, to Tells her. her, I did not kill Carlo. But it's dismayed when the capo arrives to pay reverence to her husband as the Don Corleone and closes his office door on her. Yep, closes the door on her. And I mean, oh. Dude, the mind fuck ending of the second movie when he does that. I can't even, we'll, we'll I can't help back. it. We'll oh. come back. We'll come back. Oh, my I just God. know we're talking about this it's next so week. It's so hard. Back to it. There's so much I want to say There's still already. a lot we got to talk about in this. So, like, oh. like, Vito tells him, whoever comes to you to try and come up with peace with Barzini is going to be the one who goes to betray you, right? It's Tessio. Like, it was Tessio from the beginning. That's why you see the oranges with him, where he's, like, reaching for the orange at the beginning when Barzini shows up. Like, Tessio fucking betrays him. So, like, he goes out to the car, and he, like, looks at Michael, and he's like, hey, can you just save me just this one last time? And he's like, sorry, it's just business, you know? And he adjusts his tie, and he goes out, because he knows he's going to fucking die. And then he gets strangled, right? Like, basically goes out the same way Luca Brazzi goes out fucking kicks his foot into the windshield as he's dying um you just see a whole bunch of people getting off right as his son is getting baptized right which also shows the hypocrisy of the godfather moniker it's one of the biggest catholic traditions but he has all of these murders arranged while he's fucking baptizing his child like in the eyes of god right like they're fucking murdering everybody mo green gets a bullet in his eye through his glasses like that scene is so fucked up dude like you don't shoot Mo Green in the eye. Mo Green shoots you in the eye. <laughs> Literally. Literally. It's so fucked up, dude. But yeah, this movie is amazing. And it just shows you like Michael's not really going to go clean at the end, right? Like yeah. the, I think that baptism shows it right there. Like the baptism. This is no, where it's you're the like closing of the door. Set. Right. It's the lie in the closing of the door that really cements the. But it's even it's even there, like the baptism. This is supposed to be like you're clean for the eyes Whoa, of God. Ass? Right away, like he's murdering people during this. He is irredeemable in the eyes of God right there. I'm not a religious person but i think that's important in this movie he's irredeemable to the eyes of god and like where Vito respected his family and loved his family and they were number one he treats k like fucking garbage and they show it in that end scene like he lies to her face and then closes the door on her like right on her as they're having business like he bro, is now the power behind the door bro dead ass if she if, if he would have been honest with her do you think she would have stayed no she still doesn't <laughs> stay though we know that <laughs> we'll get back to that but um so let's talk about the theme so there's a lot of themes we could go through in this movie but there's so much to talk about i'm just going to focus on one power vito corleone seems to know it all at the start of the film as he has passed the power down to his son he is forgetting things and repeating himself meanwhile michael tries to walk the straight and narrow but as he crosses into the family business he becomes more and more ruthless right okay movie behind the movie there's so much i had to cherry pick what i was gonna put yeah in there. i'm I knew assuming this was everything's be. cherry picked but i will now. say one thing i forgot 
forgot to write down, which I already hinted at, is like this movie is a family affair for Francis Ford Coppola. Like Coppola's involved. We already talked about his daughter, Sophia, playing the baby in it. His sister is Talia Shire, who plays Connie. Connie. Yes. Uh, Also fucking Adrian and Rocky, right? You have Francis Ford Coppola's father is playing the piano when they're doing the spinning newspaper segments and does some of the music for the movie. It's just like his family is all over in this movie. I'm sure there's an example or two I'm forgetting, but... Mm -hmm. Mario Puzo was working on the book, and so included in Paramount that it was looking good when it was still in outline form. They offered twelve and a half thousand for the book, eighty thousand if they turned it into a movie. Puzo's agent told them to turn down the deal, but he accepted it because he owed ten thousand in gambling debts. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, Robert Evans. Have you ever heard of Robert Evans? Robert Evans, you need to look into. He was the head of Paramount at this time and just a super successful producer after he stepped down. He was originally an actor he's got this documentary which is amazing it's one of the best documentaries i've ever seen called the kid stays in the picture and he he talks like this he's like was it a mistake sure did i take it yeah did it work out for the best you bet like he talks like that all the time just in life he talks like that (laughs) dude it's fucking nuts anyway robert evans was convinced that their previous mob film the brotherhood failed because there was no one working on the picture who was of italian descent coppola turned it down but then changed his mind because his independent studio owed 400000 to Warners for George Lucas's THX 1138. So, yeah, he did it to fund what other projects. What is that movie, by the way? Um, that was a short film that George Lucas made for his college project because I, I think he was like, was it like UCAL or something? Um, it, oh, USC. George Lucas went to USC. A lot of these guys went to USC. And so he made this short film and then he turned it into a longer film because he was friends with Coppola and so Coppola was producing it. It's like a very weird, hard sci-fi movie from the early 70s. So that was his first movie. Then American Graffiti and then Star Wars. So okay. yeah, that's that's Lucas's filmography. Uh, Paramount bought, brought in Francis Ford Coppola who had and done a mainstream movie. He was their seventh choice for director. Damn. They wanted to update the story to a contemporary setting. Coppola convinced them to make it a much more expensive period piece just as the book was released and suddenly became a bestseller. This put heat on Coppola immediately because they thought he was making a tiny movie and then it became evident very quickly this was going to be a giant epic because it was capturing the public's imagination and book That's form. crazy that it Because they greenlit out. it before it came out, dude. That's crazy. Um, that just doesn't happen back then, man. No, it doesn't happen now either. <laughs> I mean, it kind of does, but like not, it has to book. be like... like... The turning a book into a movie is not like it is now. You know what I mean? Like there's there was a power in that back in those days because people read way more. So it's like if you were adapting a bestseller, it was a really big deal. And now if you're adapting a bestseller, there's like only a couple thousand people that have even read it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's different now. Paramount wanted Ernest Borgnine as Vito. <laughs> Do you know who Ernest Borgnine is? Is that the Ernest guy? <laughs> no, that's Jim Barney. <laughs> Brando did a screen test where he put cotton balls in his mouth and shoe polish in his hair. The studio was impressed, but told Brando that they'd only hire him if he worked for a lower wage and put up a bond in case he held up production. Because even in 72, Brando was a legendary pain in the ass. Al Martino got the part as Johnny Fontaine, but when Coppola took over, he replaced him with Vic Damone. Martino went to an actual crime boss, which intimidated Damone enough to resign from the part. Really? Yep. 
I didn't write down about this, but the mob was involved in the production of this as well somewhat. It's it's tied in with a lot of things. It's interesting to look into. That's why they never say Cosa Nostra in it, because they were trying to like maintain that Cosa Nostra doesn't exist kind of thing. Uh, Paramount wanted Robert De Niro for Sonny. Coppola argued that it should be James Caan. They then demanded that either Robert Redford or Warren Beatty be Michael because Pacino was too short. Over time, Coppola convinced Robert Evans, who then wanted Khan as Sonny because he was closer to Pacino's height. Like that was their big problem with Pacino was he was too short. The book said that the whole horse's body was in the room with the head propped up on his bed. Coppola misread it and arranged for it to be a severed head. The horse's head was real, supplied by a dog food company. Like the horse had already been destroyed to feed to dogs, so they kept the head. And Damn. Yeah. Coppola had a producer watching his ballooning budget every day from the set. Another director was secretly hired by Evans to take over in case Coppola couldn't handle it. He was convinced his editor and assistant director were conspiring to get him shit-canned, so he fired them. (laughs) Dope. (laughs) Yeah. Coppola found out that Paramount felt there wasn't enough violence and they were going to bring in a violence coordinator. The scene where Connie is fighting with Carlo was made to keep them at bay, right? Like he's directing this scene and he's just like, now slap her. Now throw that dish across the room. Now throw that dish across the room. And they're doing that whole thing because like Coppola literally just made up that scene and filmed it so that they would see that they didn't need a violence coordinator. (laughs) Coppola's initial cut of the movie was two hours and six minutes. Robert Evans took Coppola aside and said, damn it, you filmed an epic. I want to see it on the screen. Evans told them to bolster the family scene. Eventually, they brought the film back up to two hours and 55 minutes. So that's one of those rare famous stories where, like, the producer fights with the director and the producer is absolutely right. Usually, it's the other way, you know? No, can you picture cutting out anything from this movie? I wouldn't want to cut out a single frame of this movie. Like, it's perfect. It's just a perfect movie. Uh, So what are the rules? Oh, my God. Don't eat oranges. Now that I know about that. <laughs> yeah. Never go against the family. Yeah. Never go against the family. Don't uh, talk. Either your signature or your brains will be on the contract. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, leave the gun. Take the cannolis. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that scene. Somehow we skipped That's over That's right. There's like a scene. Like, so Polly was well, the one who calls in fucking, sick. fucking uh, uh, murders Polly, right? Yeah, because Polly called in sick. And then he comes in and they're talking about how he didn't feel good. And he's doing a very unconvincing cough. And Sonny's like. I don't want him around anymore. Put it at the top of your list, Clemenza. And so Polly's the driver and he goes out to Polly and his wife goes, don't forget the cannolis. And so they go like pick up some cannolis and they're going to drive this address. And then Clemenza goes, pull over. I got to take a leak. So it's this like wheat field that's blowing. You can see the Statue of Liberty off in the distance. He goes to take a leak and then you hear this gunshot and he just casually zips up, goes back and uh, tells the guy, oh, leave oh. the gun, take the cannolis. It's right. <laughs> my favorite line in the movie. Uh, is the title of the movie? Movie set in the movie, yeah, yeah, The Godfather for sure. Be my friend, Godfather, right? Yeah. Like at the beginning, we don't actually hear the Godfather, but, but we see close God- it's close enough. Yeah, does it end at the right moment? Oh yeah, I think so. Like you're done peeking at this world. Yeah. Close the door. We're closing the door on this chapter, right? Does the story continue? Oh yeah. Not only does it go forwards, but it goes backwards backwards too in the next one. Yeah, Yeah. The ACV MVP. I'm giving it to the oranges for all the reason I said. Bro. Too many great actors to to pick one for me. I'm going to have to go Al Pacino. He's my MVP. Okay. Fair. This is my favorite thing I've ever seen Al Pacino in. Yeah, fair. Reception, it made $246 million off a $6 million budget. That's 41 times its budget. 
Jesus. At the time, it was the highest grossing movie in history. It made $15 million before it was even released due to advanced rentals in theaters. It made its fucking money two and a half times before it was released. That's pretty fucking good. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. We tend to identify with Don Corleone's family not because we did gang wars, but because we have been with them from the beginning, watching them wait for battle while sitting at the kitchen table and eating chow mein out of paper cartons. Gene Siskel also gave it four stars and said, yes, it's very good, but Brando is hardly the reason. The Godfather now and maybe forever at the Chicago Theater ends with a door being closed in the face of the audience, and it's because we have been behind that door for nearly three hours that the film had such remarkable appeal to permit us to glimpse at the mob with all its ethnic insularity is like giving a chronic gambler a chance to wander above the false mirrors that overlook every casino so influences there's a bunch but i'm just going to name two here uh one is clute this is where the godfather cinematographer gordon willis learned to mix light and shadow while saturating the color to give it that yellow color palette and the young and the passionate this shows a mediterranean celebration at the beginning so coppola kind of took that for some of the wedding things that they do at the beginning of the movie what it influenced goodfellas it's impossible not to say that it influenced goodfellas right like you don't get a movie like goodfellas without the godfather uh the sopranos obviously as we said over and over again so Mm -hmm. i don't think we have to hang on that too much the legacy it is number two on the afi's top 100 and considered by many to be the greatest movie ever made it was selected for preservation in the u.s national film registry in the library of congress in 1990 so that would have been the first year that that existed um, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. It was number two on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Quotes list. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It had three Oscar nominations for Best Supporting Actor, going to Al Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall. I mean, young Robert Duvall is just so... Want to know something crazy? He's wearing a toupee in that movie. Yeah, right. He it even was sense. bald back then. It makes sense. Because that's why says, in the second one, when he you see... He always dismisses like, oh. the Godfather stuff because he's always saying, like, I just wish they had had a better toupee for me. I never knew it was a toupee. I always thought that was his actual hair. It was nominated for Best Director, Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. It won Best Writing, Best Picture, and Best Actor. The Best Actor nod was controversial since Brando had 40 minutes of screen time and Pacino had 66 minutes. Pacino boycotted the event as as a result, then Brando won the award. He sent a woman named Sachin Littlefeather in his place. The Native American woman had a 15-page speech prepared by Brando in support of the occupation of Wounded Knee and denouncing Hollywood's treatment of Native Americans in movies and television. The, Hell yeah, Brando. This is maybe the most famous Oscar moment ever. The FBI had ordered a media blackout on Wounded Knee. The producer of the show told Littlefeather if she spoke for longer than 60 seconds, she would be arrested. She improvised a speech and refused to accept or even touch the Oscar on Brando's demand. Roger Moore, who was presenting the award, wound up Holy keeping it for a shit. Yeah. Roger Moore was presenting the award. He wound up keeping it for a couple of years until an armed guard of the Academy came to his house and collected it from him. After the incident what a trip. Yeah. After the incident, the Academy changed the rules so that no proxy can collect an award for the winner unless they have died. So there you go. The showrunners of The Simpsons believe that you can recreate the entire movie by patching together clips from the show. I have to concur, dude. When you look at especially the first like 10 seasons of The Simpsons, just Godfather reference after Godfather reference. That would be kind of tight though to have like a cut ass fucking Homer being like, well, I don't know, Lisa. And then it's just like, I'd make him enough. I can't refuse. Like just but like (laughs) fucking Homer's (laughs) chopped up lines from 
But they've done like like, whole scenes from The Godfather over and over again. Uh, So other source material. So since we are covering part two next week, I figured we would put the movies hands off for now. We'll talk about that next week. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I want to focus on the books here since we already talked about the video game. So first, The Godfather novel. I mentioned a bunch of differences. I also want to say that Godfather part two, the entire Vito story is the first chapter of The Godfather. (sighs) They they give you this quick chapter of like Vito's life. This is the first time I feel like that's acceptable to yeah. cut out that part it's it's necessary for this movie you know they come back to it in part two because it's also brilliant there's another plot line where uh sunny's mistress has a giant vagina and so sunny's the only person who can pleasure her and so after sunny dies she doesn't know what to do and then she winds up meeting a doctor in vegas who like helps her vagina somehow like gives her some kind of surgery to fix it and then they wind up falling in love together you don't need any of that in this movie <laughs> like i love the book but it's kind of trashy in ways too right. like it's definitely elevated in the movie the sicilian so this is a tale about a bandit named giuliano who has information called the testament that will topple the italian government and he uses this to assure that he stays is alive. He aids Michael Corleone who's towards the end of his Italian segment of The Godfather and the two escape Sicily to go to America together. In the middle of the story, Clemenza shows up to bring Michael home. Giuliani is killed and the story ends with Michael realizing that the testament will not be released betraying his friend because Vito Corleone agreed to turn it over to ensure Michael's safety. Vito imparts a lesson to Michael, it's better to remain alive at whatever cost than to be a dead hero. So that's the only time that Mario Puzo revisited The Godfather and novel form. Then The Godfather Returns, written by Mark Weingarten. This covers the Corleone family. The Godfather Strikes Back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this covers the family from 1955 to 62. It also gives backstory on Michael's tour of duty during World War II. Michael is trying to legitimize the family, but finding it difficult to cut his mob ties. Fredo is revealed to be gay in the book. I've read all of these books so far. That would make sense. Yeah. It, it, it works for it. Like, these books are not as good as the original source material, but they're all right. Then the fourth one is The Godfather's Revenge, which I also read, also by Weingartner. This takes place immediately after The Godfather 2 from 63 to 64. Michael is dealing with the guilt of killing Fredo and living without his children and Kay. The Corleones have family friends who they prop up and wind up winning the White House. They then declare war on the mob. They are clearly stand-ins for the Kennedys. An enemy of Michael's named Garachi kills Tom Hagen. So that's how they explain that he he is not available for Godfather Part 3. And then this is the only one I didn't read because I didn't know it existed. The Family Corleone by Ed Falco. This takes place at the end of Prohibition and tells how Vito became the most powerful mob boss in New York. It details how Luca Brazzi starts working for the Corleones and how Tom Hagen went from an orphan to a conciliary. Sonny joins the business side of the family. Would you buy this in 4K, Jeremiah? Big facts. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think I would, too, if I had a 4K player. <laughs> Did I sell this Blu-ray to settle medical debt? Leon Associates made me an offer I couldn't <laughs> refuse. I sent the CEO in a Sicilian message, a fish wrapped in the debt collector's jacket. Finally, they got me at a toll booth and a hail of garnishments. How does this movie remind Jeremiah of Neon Genesis Evangelion? Oh, man, I wanted to be more Dune this time. Uh, how does this movie remind Jeremiah of Dune? Pretty much the whole story is like, it's like what I was telling Biggs before we started recording. There's so much of the, like the Dune story in this for me, like just the whole, like following your destiny and then the, 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 the tracks that your father has laid out before you. It's like what I was going to say, like when, when you meet Michael Corleone in the beginning, it's like the beginning scene of Dune. And I also didn't want this. I wanted to be a pilot. And it's like, <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like the same thing, dude. Luke Skywalker. Uh, no, with no, it's uh, also like Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, it's all the heroes. Yeah, journey. it's all it's all yeah. of that, dude. And then you know, ah, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, it's the Joseph Campbell thing again. You can't escape yeah. it. It's all over. Cosmic Void was created and hosted by Alex Small and Jeremiah Perez. The theme song was written and produced by Tom Smith. Follow Jeremiah Perez on Instagram at Vex Till Death. Follow me, the show, and Redwood Sound Labs on Instagram at Redwood underscore Sound underscore Labs or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Redwood Sound Labs. You can read short reviews of every movie I watch on Letterboxd under Alex Big Small. Before I tell you what we're doing next week, which I told you over and over again, please check out The Real War Project. It's a Purple Heart winner and professor talking about war movies in a very intelligent way. I love it. Aaron Donaldson, who's been on the show a couple of times, mm-hmm. is one of the co-hosts. He's the goat. Yeah, check absolutely. So please check it out. And next week, we're talking about the movie considered the greatest sequel ever made, as well as one of the greatest films ever made, The Godfather Part Two. Cast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 